hunting, fishing, and all things outdoors. It's not just a hobby, it's a lifestyle. Welcome to the Green Top Outdoors podcast with your host, Hunter Brooks. All right, welcome back to another episode of Green Top Outdoors. I'm your host, Hunter Brooks. Today, I have got a special guest. I got Brad Stevenson on the podcast with us today. We're going to talk about spring turkey season, man. It's coming soon. Yeah, absolutely. It's going to be here in five weeks. It's one, of your, it's one of your favorite times of the year. It sure is. I know you go a fair amount too. I, you I and your try, dad man. both. I try to get out there. Brad's a lucky one. He gets to hunt like all the time. Very blessed with the schedule they allow me yeah, here. He is. He hunts just about every day, wouldn't you say, Brad? I got to be here Sunday morning, but pretty much the rest of the time I come in at lunch. So yeah, the Monday through Saturday, I try to go just about every morning. Yeah, Brad likes to work at night, so he takes advantage of those mornings and gets out in the woods. You're probably in the woods more than anybody I know. I'm very blessed. So, you know, you've probably seen a lot more stuff than most people experienced a lot of things, some crazy things. You always sure, got some sure. good stories. Yeah, in a season, I get as many mornings out there as most guys do, you know, in 10 years of hunting the weekends. Yeah. Of course, springtime and spring gobbler season is, like we said, it's one of your favorite times. So we're going to talk a little bit about that today because it is right around the corner. We got a youth weekend coming up the first weekend of April. First weekend in April. And then for everybody else, it starts the second weekend. Yep. For anybody that listens that uh, doesn't hunt birds in Virginia, man, Virginia birds aren't easy. No, the eastern subspecies in general is known to be the toughest one. And yeah, from Maine all the way down to Georgia. And of course, there's so much new technology out there now that, you know, with federal TSS loads, things like that, that trying to improve people's game out there. But one, just getting out there and getting in the wild with those turkeys in the springtime and just watching them is part of the fun. Yeah, I mean, a big part of it's getting them close and the lead loads that people have used for longer than we've been around still get the job done every spring. And you certainly don't need the newest high-tech stuff to, to bag your turkey, but it definitely gives you a little advantage and much difficulty as plenty of people have. Every little bit helps. So if we want to get right into it. Preliminary stuff is just talk about scouting. Mm-hmm. I mean, scouting is a vital part in just about any sort of hunting you do, whether it's deer hunting, waterfowl, mm-hmm. turkey, whatever. I feel like scouting is one of those things that you should always be doing. Absolutely. What are your some of the things you do leading up to the spring season as far as scouting? Well, on property that I've hunted for years and that I know, I try to stay off of it. I really don't like to go in there and scout. You know, if I'm going to go scout, it's the day before opening day or or two days before opening day just to confirm birds are doing what they've done in the past. But generally speaking, walking through the woods, owl hooting, crow calling, everything else, before the season comes in, I think you're just risking bumping birds and, and kind of pushing them to your neighbor's property. So I don't like to do that. I try to avoid it. But if it's a new piece of property I've never been on, starting usually about now, four weeks or so before the season, start going a couple mornings a week before light, get there 30 minutes before light, hang out until 45 minutes after light, and just sit and see where you hear them. When, when do you normally start hearing them? Personally, because you, you get out gobbling there. now on a warm morning, right? I mean, if it's warm enough, they're mm-hmm. doing it. Um, yeah, I mean, they're gobbling now. I've heard birds gobbling Thanksgiving and Christmas, but this time of year, if it's warm, they're out there announcing their presence. They're trying to claim their territory. So I go listen and just try to hear where they're at and get a feel for where the birds are this time of year. As we get closer to opening day, 
At that point, I will ease into the woods and get closer to those places where I've been hearing them and, and try to get within a few hundred yards and actually figure out exactly which ridge or which group of trees that they're roosting in. Yeah, or how many birds you're dealing sure. with. Sure, yeah. and at that point, I can kind of make a game plan for opening day. Which, and it, it, it seems to get better closer you get into, or the further you get into April. Yeah. For some people, I mean, in some areas, they may say, man, it's different in March. It's mm-hmm. late, late March is when the, I mean, it just really depends on, on, and farther and south and east and, you are, usually the earlier they're going to be. The the farther north and west you are, normally the later they're going to be. You know, a lot of times I feel like in the southeast part of the state, we've kind of missed the peak by the time the season comes in. But up in the mountains, those birds might not even be cranked up yet. Right. Cold mornings versus warm mornings. I'm sure everybody's had their experiences of of warm mornings. You don't mm-hmm. get a lot of cold, real, when I say cold, I'm talking under 30 degree mornings sure. in the springtime. You don't, you don't normally see that. Maybe the first well, week. Maybe the first week. Typically, you don't see too many of them. Personally, I know a lot of guys that probably say, man, it's 26 out. I'm not getting out of bed this morning to go after these turkeys. Mm-hmm. I've done it. I've had good luck on cold mornings. Mm-hmm. What about you? I don't really like a real cold morning either. Most, <laughs> mostly because I don't want to have to dig out all my duck camo to go. To go. <laughs> right. My turkey camo is a lot warmer weather oriented. Right. But I, I've had a few good mornings on cold days. I remember youth day. Gosh, it's been a while, but but you remember uh, Austin took his daughter and yeah. shot that big gobbler oh, yeah. in the snow. Oh, yeah. I remember that. That was a crazy morning. I mean, that was I three or that. four inches of snow on the ground. It was. So you can have a great day. I mean, that bird was gobbling, strutting, everything else. Generally speaking, I'd like it to be between 40 and 60. Yeah. I don't know. I, I agree with you, man. Getting When you get up on a and you're getting pumped up to go, go after a gobbler, man, and, you, and you're like, man. It's frost outside or whatever. Mm-hmm. I mean, you got to you got to get your long johns on, and uh-huh. it's not fun. And then that next thing you know, you're peeling most of that stuff off. Once the sun's up, it heats right man, back up. It's going to get warm real quick, especially if you got to go run after some birds or something like yeah. that. Unless you get lucky early on, you know. That's this. It's the temperature in this area. It just you just never know what you're going to get. That's um, for sure. We got all four seasons in Virginia, and sometimes we get all four of them during turkey season. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> So next, other than scouting, I mean, what else do you do to prepare for spring gobbler season? I mean, do you get your gear? Is, oh, is your I gear? got all my stuff out uh, last week and kind of go through it, make sure it's all still there, see what's worn out and needs to be replaced, make sure all my calls are kind of prepped, you know, sand, sand my pots, chalk my, my box calls, uh, usually replace my diaphragms every year. Get out my decoys, make sure they're clean, give them a scrub if they've got mud on them. How many calls do you have? How many calls do you carry with you? Yeah, let's not talk about how many I have. <laughs> That's a tender spot with the wife. But uh, how many I carry? I've got a big vest. I guess I got about four pot calls, three box calls, usually three or four diaphragms. I got two owl calls, two crow calls. I got a peacock call I never use, but it's in there anyway. You got, um, you got a gobbler call. Yeah, I got a gobble call as well. I carry chalk, sandpaper, Brillo pads, all that stuff for the calls. Yeah, I've been with Brad on some hunts before, and I'm going to tell you, he's got about everything you need to kill a bird. That's for sure. If a turkey doesn't like one sound, I'm going to swing around 300 yards, get on the other side of it, but give a different sound. Try something else, man. I mean, you know, you've got it all. Traditionally, I know a lot of people like the traditional box call. I'm a fan of it, but I'm, I'm more of a slate guy. What about you? What are you? Same uh, way. I, I learned to hunt with a box call. That's what my dad had. And he didn't really have as many calls or wasn't as into it as much as, as I am. He had a slate too, I believe, but a box call was his go-to call. 
growing up. And so that was the first call I learned to use. I still like it if I really got to reach out and try to strike a bird. I think a box call carries real far. It does, yeah. And it does have a sweet sound. But for actually working a bird in close, I think that soft purr and cluck on a slate call is hard to beat. Yep, I would agree. There's so many choices out there now. With all the synthetic materials they're yeah. making calls out of, I've, I've bought ceramic. and You got you know, name brand calls. You got custom calls. Yeah. It's just so many good ones out there. You really can't go wrong with just about any of them. It's just what's going to be, it depends on your experience as a caller. If you're a beginner, obviously the box call is where to start. And I don't use them very much unless I'm trying to simulate a, a fight. And they're not normally in my vest, but I will take them if I know I'm going to set up on, on a spot where there's multiple gobblers together. Um, but the little push pull calls, yeah, they're great for doing fighting purrs. You get two of those, one in each hand, and, and you have you, make it sound like they're fighting. That, have have you work. had some good? Have you had some good experience with the fighting calls? I mean, I have. Have you had have you had some stuff? Uh, I've I've had birds ignore it, but I've had birds ignore every call. Right. So yeah, I don't I don't judge it by that. But yeah, I've had some time, especially if you got two or three two year olds running around together. Where you get that sound going and they think, you know, some other gobblers have moved in and are fighting, or maybe they think Jake's are fighting or something. But I've had a couple of young two-year-olds just running across the field to come in and, and join the fight. <laughs> I've never messed with the, the fighting calls before. I've just kind of stuck to the basics, the fundamentals. But, I mean, there's all kinds of things you can do to try to gain success in the springtime. The traditional thing is to locate, call, mm-hmm. get an answer, and set up and wait, see mm-hmm. what happens. But you do a lot of fly downs. I do. Uh, which, you know, some people don't know anything about anything it. about fly downs. Mm-hmm. But I, the times I've been with you, it's, it's, it's actually really impressive. And it sounds legit. Talk about that a little bit. Well, doing a fly down, a lot of times when you've got a bird that's gobbling, first thing, you know, still crack of dawn, dark in the sky, and bird's gobbling, it's too light. I mean, too dark for the, for the bird to want to come out of the tree yet. If you can get in fairly close on that bird and set up, and then I use an old turkey wing that I, I dried and have in my vest. They also sell some artificial wings that are on the market as well. You basically do a tree yelp, uh, very soft, just kind of, hello, I'm here. You know, usually a little three note yelp to indicate a hen that's woken up and is letting the woods around her and the other turkeys around her know she's there. And then sometimes I'll just do the wing fly down by itself after that. Sometimes I'll do a cackle as well when I do a fly down. But you're basically trying to sound like the first hen that is pitched out of the roost and hit the ground. And, and you don't want to do it too early or it seems unnatural, but as soon as it's light enough that you can really see the ground around you and a turkey would feel safe on the ground that a coyote isn't sitting there, at that point I want to go ahead and do a fly down and be that turkey that's hit the ground first. And my hope is that he's eager to get the party started and comes right down and comes to me. And you typically will hear an answer from that gobbler. Yeah, most of the time. Most when of the when time he hears do. that, he gobbles, and, and he's really expecting you to walk over there to him. Right. that's what most hens do in nature. Right. But, you know, when you don't show up in two minutes, as long as a real hen doesn't fly down to him first, you got a good chance he's going to come down and come yeah. your way. And then that's where the, the decoy comes into play, right? Mm, that many times, many places. Yeah. But so yeah, having a decoy is always a good way to give him something to key in on and to keep him from looking quite as hard for you. Right. I mean, a lot of people think, well, it's just a decoy is more of like an attractant. But to, to me, it's like I'm more confident with a decoy because, like you said, he's going to be focused on that. Right. And, and, and he's not and still scanning. He's not, not looking, as likely to notice you. Exactly. And uh, maybe some people, most people see it that way. Maybe mm-hmm. other people don't. But that's where I think decoys can be really important. Now, sometimes you get in a fix or get a piece of woods where 
the situation just doesn't warrant using the decoy no, because no. If it's real thick. I mean, he's not going to see the decoy far enough for it to matter. Right. You can plan everything perfectly. Mm-hmm. You know, that gobbler's coming right down this little road right here. Mm-hmm. And next thing you know, he's standing behind you, blowing your eardrums out because mm-hmm. he's, uh, cause you just, you never saw him. That is the worst feeling in the world. <laughs> it's exciting, but man, it's terrible. Everything can go right for you in, in a matter of minutes. I've been on those hunts plenty of times and mm-hmm. it's always good when you can have success that quick, that early. But then again, you got those mornings where, man, you really got to work hard for those birds. It's just the way it is. Yeah. You and I had a hunt, was it uh, three or four years ago like that, man? We had to work that bird almost, what, damn near three the, hours, wasn't it? The one it? you got? The one I got. The one, we, now, the one you we, got. We not only worked that bird for three hours, we chased that bird for three miles. <laughs> right. <laughs> That was the, uh, what was the... Um, I mean, we were within 100 yards of that bird for the last hour yeah, and a half. And absolutely. He just, he just yeah. kept moving away. He was we, not interested. We until, would get 20 yards closer, he'd go 20 yards farther. Yep. Until uh, we finally, I think we cornered him in that food plot. It was all water around him. It was a water everywhere. It was only one way he could go. And that was back to us. And that was right back to us. But he was still strutting in that food plot. He and then when we stuck wanted at, us to come out first. So when we stuck at Jake, was it the Jake decoy? It was. Man, we stuck that Jake decoy he in the road. We looked back down that logging road and saw him down there where all those hen calls were coming from. And yep. he said, uh-uh. Yep. And then I think you hit your gobble call. Uh huh. Got him to came, look down there. When he strutted back up towards that uh, opening in that road, and he saw that Jake, man, he came right to us. You didn't man. hardly have time to get your gun. Out. I swear, he was, he was, he came running, man. And I mean, that was a good feeling because, man, damn, we were all when you we work that hard to, and it pays off. It yeah, really we, does. we came close to just backing out and leaving. We, him. we got ready to leave him because it was getting late in the morning, and I knew there were other birds in mm-hmm. the, some other places, but. Man, he had that real, real weird claw foot. Two something. of them, yeah. yeah. Well, two toenails that I think it's a bacteria or something. Yeah. Fungus gets in it there. Was but crazy two toenails were probably three, four inches long, twisted, looked like old yeah. witch's toenails. Yeah, we followed his track on in there because we were trying to figure out which way he went because he shut up on mm-hmm. us. And we saw that track. We were like, man, that's a crazy looking track. And then, of course, that was his track. But we fought like hell to get that bird. Succeeded in that. By then, it was, what, 10? 10 o'clock? Right, 10.30. 10.30. Yeah, and here in Virginia, the first three weeks, we quit at noon. Yeah. So, yeah, at that point, it was it was time to find me one, but we didn't have much time we left to do it. We didn't have much time, and I said, what, what I said? I said, all right, let's go check this field. There's usually a bird or two in this field. Long, skinny field. Gosh, had to have been 800 yards it long, 800. and we're looking in the back, and what do you know? There's a bird in the corner 120 yards to our right. Yep, full strut. I'll let you tell the rest, man, because uh, that was something else. <laughs> So bird was right there. We had pulled the truck right there to where, you know, we were parked, pay road behind us, edge of the field in front of us. If the truck went 10 feet further, the turkey was going to see the, the truck. If we went over the hill towards the turkey, we were going to get seen. If we went anywhere else, we were just going to get further from him. Yeah. So I grabbed a gobbler strutter decoy out of the back of the truck and i crawled right up to the edge of the field and i stuck you know just kind of belly crawled up to the edge stuck it out into the field far as i could reach you know two feet and again grabbed that gobble call and i hit that gobble one time and he gobbled back and it was just enough of a roll to the hill he couldn't see me and i couldn't see him but when i hit that gobble call he gobbled back he kind of strutted on out into the field a little bit further to you know, kind of say, hey, this is my field. And as soon as he did, he saw that strutter. And, buddy, it was it was almost, similar to you. Yeah. He, he came at a run. Yeah, because I was hiding behind a tree. 
because I could even see the bird. Mm-hmm. And I was trying to get my phone out so I could film it. And I think the last thing I heard you say was, here he comes, here he comes. <laughs> and I didn't even have time to film. And then boom, it was over. Yeah. I was like, wow. It was literally 60 seconds. It was over. Ah, it was probably more like 180. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I mean, it takes a little while to get that decoy out and crawl. <laughs> It just happens so fast, man. I mean, but that was one extreme to the next. You know, you get mm-hmm. you got one hunt that you had to work your butt off to get. Yeah. Same morning, half a mile apart. Yeah. And it was just, it was a great morning. Two nice, nice they, birds, They were too. both really nice birds. You just don't know what to expect when you're getting out there in the springtime. It's just, we were talking before this that the population of coyotes now have really gotten high around here. I really think that's kind of changed the gobbling landscape. The turkeys are a lot quieter now. Absolutely. I think that's the same thing. I just don't hear birds gobbling like they used to. Nope. And I think- Especially not on the ground. It's it's like when, as soon as they hit the ground, they just shut up. Yeah. If they're gobbling on the ground, they're in a big open field or a big open hardwood bottom where they can see all around them. And you might be in an area where you don't have a very high population of coyotes or predators. And you might be good. But once those birds do hit the ground, man, things do change up quite a bit. And especially if you got a lot of hens around. Yeah. You just, you got to adapt. You got a lot of hens around. You might not have much goblin even in the tree. Absolutely. Yeah. So you just have some, I guess, alternative plan B, plan C, plan D, you know. Have to have a have a plan to go out to a field to set up on, you know, uh, just in case that's the case, because you know you might have that that gobbler might be with a ton of hens, and there's just nothing yeah. you can do about it. So I got a lot of rules I kind of run by, and a lot of them are general rules, you know, and I break them all the time depending on the situation. But one of my general rules when I'm going into places that I know and that I normally hunt, I'm going to go in early before light. I'm going to get in close to where I think birds are normally roosted. And if birds are gobbling in the morning, I'm going to stay on those birds and I'm going to work those birds and I'm going to do what I can with them. But if, if I don't bag a bird off the roost in the morning, early in the season, the first two or three weeks, I'm not going to go running through the woods, cutting and running. Leaves still aren't out. You can see so far through the woods. As you say, the turkeys on the ground a lot of times are a lot quieter these days. Mm-hmm. I feel like you bump a lot of birds and spook a lot of birds. You don't even know we're there when you run through the woods. Yeah, so those... you, you probably don't even know how many you've you've spooked. Right. Because you just gotten too aggressive or mm-hmm. you think that bird is a lot further away than he really is. Mm-hmm. Uh, or if the woods are quiet and you're just not getting gobbles, but yep. you're just walking miles and miles, hill after hill, calling. Well. Birds are hearing you call and they're not answering. And then you're walking over the hill heading to the next spot and they're seeing you and they're putting two to two and two together. You know, that call, that guy, every, every weekend, that call, that guy, Right. you're, you're hurting your odds. So the first couple of weeks, I usually work a bird early if I can. After that, I go somewhere that, that is a traditionally good spot where birds are normally going to come where I've seen them before. And I, I set up and I just sit there and soft call and wait until I'm ready to leave, you know, if I'm going to hunt later in the morning. Later in the season when the leaves are all out, that's when I like to cut and run. That's when if you if you hear a bird later in the year, he's likely to be hot, hens are nesting, and with all the vegetation out, you can really move on a bird and get close to him. So that's when I really like cutting and running and just covering ground, probing and prospecting with loud calls and trying to find a bird and move in tight on him. Yeah, and you got... uh educated birds 
later in the year too. So mm-hmm. you should try to get them early in the season, obviously, because you know the later in the season goes, man. I mean, you get some birds that are gonna sure uh, get you, a lot more you, educated. You got a lot less birds because uh-huh. the easy ones are dead. Yep, and and the ones that are left are the survivors that have started to figure the game out, yep. or, or they're older birds that already knew the game before opening day. Yeah, I mean, you said sometimes you just gotta sit there and you gotta wait. I mean, that's one of the things about turkey hunting is, is I don't think a lot of people are as patient as they should be. I got a lot of my friends that tell me, man, I don't want to deer hunt for a turkey. Right. I, I'm not going to turkey hunt if I got to sit there and wait. You know, I want a hot goblin bird that comes running into my call. So doesn't everybody. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and you know, if you want to go all season and have that happen one or two mornings, or if you got 20,000 acres to cover to keep looking until you find that bird, you know, have at it. But yeah. But for me, a lot of times I'm hunting 150, 200 acres and yeah, I got to make do on that piece of land. I don't want to bump birds off of that land. So I kind of hunt it low pressure, low key and until late in the season. Plus me and you both, you didn't get up at 4 a.m. or 3 a.m. just to be in the woods for an hour. Yeah, I tell you, that's one thing I don't understand is guys who drive all the way there and don't hear a bird the first 30 minutes and drive home. Yeah. Not me. Oh man, you got till noon. You can eat lunch. You can skip breakfast. At know? least till the sun gets up too hot for me to stand. That's, yeah, or, the, or when, the, when the bugs get bad. Exactly. It's one bad thing about springtime, man, is those bugs get real bad. But sometimes you just got to shut up and wait. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's going to be birds that just aren't going to cooperate. You may, they may be with some hens. You may just have to just wait your turn and just yeah. let them do their thing and give them some time and just see what happens. Being patient's a, it's, it's a critical part, I think. Once hens start nesting... You know, once they, they pick their spot and they build their nest, they're still going to be with that gobbler every day. They're still going to frequently breed him every morning. But usually mid-morning, somewhere 9.30 to 10.30, those birds slip away from that gobbler and they go back over there. They lay one egg a day until they fill the whole nest and start incubating. But they're for, you know, 8 to 14 days. Every day they're with that gobbler in the morning. They're slipping off. They're laying an egg and they're getting back with him in the afternoon. And that period from kind of 10 to 2 can be, especially that mid-season period, can be the best part of the whole day. That's right. I know a lot of guys that have had tons of success late in the morning. Of course, mm-hmm. later in the season, the second half of the season, you can hunt all day. Yeah. Is it after the third weekend or is it after the... So let's see. It's the first weekend and then essentially May three first weeks. Week. So it's going to be May. the Monday of the last two weeks. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. And then you can hunt all day. Yeah. Yeah. But then that's when, of course, we talked about it. It gets a lot tougher. It gets very difficult. But you get all day to, to try them out. And I don't know if I got time to do mess with a bird all damn day. But some people do, like you, Brad. I mean, you get I a- really like afternoon hunting. You know, I hunt in some other states as well. And a lot of those states, it's all day, all season. And, and again, that 10 to 2 period is kind of a magic window for me. Virginia at 12, you got to hang it up. But but in these other states, I, I really kind of, that one, two o'clock period, I've had some great hunts there. Yeah. Well, let's talk about, I guess, for those late season birds or those tough gobblers that are hard to kill, the ones that you just can't get them in close enough. Let's talk about these TSS loads, man. I mean, that's been, it's been the hot lick here for the last several years. I yeah. mean, it's actually, it been going on for quite some time yeah, before probably. federal been around 15 20 years yeah, as probably far 15, as 20 guys years. hand loading it yep. but, a lot yeah. of guys have done their their custom hand loads federal of course got in the game about three or four years ago mm-hmm. by far it's the hottest stuff on the market it is by far the most expensive stuff on the market 
Oh, I think uh, I think there's some custom depleted uranium that's going to hit the spring. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the uh, TSS is as close to that as you can legally get. Yeah, that's right. That's right. It's uh, it's some it's some wicked stuff. I mean, it patterns great, and other than the cost, I can see the benefit, especially if you're going to go to a sub gauge. I just don't understand the complaint about the cost. Well, and you're you're shooting three shells a year. That's true. Uh, you're, you're right. You're right. I, I'm gonna spend more on gas to hunt one day than I'm gonna spend I, on those three shells. I didn't. I didn't even look at it that way because you know you do. I'd love to know how much gas you spend a year and just hunting. That's we'll talk about that. Yeah, off, we don't. We don't ever want to talk, want to about, talk that. about that on there. <laughs> now, now the TSS loads though, 410 and 20. It's it's really opened the doors up to guys hunting with lighter weight shotguns mm-hmm. that can shoot longer distances, tight patterns. Now, I mean, this stuff shoots ultra tight. I mean, obviously, you want to get the bird in as, as close as possible. But in this case, sometimes too close is not good because... Absolutely. You're shooting a golf ball. You're shooting... Yeah, you're basically you're, shooting a golf you're, ball. You're shooting a rifle with no sights. Yeah. And now I can see the advantage in, in getting a bird at a further distance. Now, you're typically... You're close... What's your average shot? 20, 20 yards. yards. Yeah. Average shot's 20 yards. With these loads, you're reaching out 50, 60 yards easily. You can if you um, if you choke it right. Yeah, Absolutely, exactly. But I'm more of a traditional guy. Uh, you know, as as far advanced I've gotten is Winchester the Longbeard. That's that's a tight load for lead. That's a tight too. load. But I usually just shot like a regular lead Supreme Winchester load, number four, mm-hmm. number five, something like that. Now the Longbeard I think was a game changer for a short period of time. I think it still is one of the best shells out there, in my opinion. But everybody's yeah. shooting these T- TSS loads now, and I mean. Other than the cost that people are going to complain about, I mean, there's, there's just a lot of great things to be said about this stuff. There is. You get a lot more pellets. You go, because it's such a denser shot, it has a lot more energy in a smaller pellet. So whereas with lead, you shot fours and fives. I, I shot fives and sixes with lead for years. Started shooting heavy shot and shot sixes and sevens. With this TSS, because of how much denser it is, you you know you got guys out there that are shooting sevens, eights, nines, and and a few people even shooting tens. Eights and nines are really kind of the the sweet spot, I think, unless you really want to stretch your distance. At which point, you probably need to go with sevens. But I want to say the three and a half inch Federal number nine has eight hundred and fourteen pellets. <laughs> and and when you see eight hundred and fourteen pellets on a piece of paper, and then you compare it to three hundred and thirty six lead sixes, right? you can't fit a golf ball through it. Right. I mean, it's a swarm of gnats. Right. And and so, yeah, when you're trying to hit the brain, trying to break the spine, that many impact points, you're, you're sure to do it. Yeah. As long as you center the pattern on the bird. I personally have, I've, I've patterned it. I've tried it. I've never, never hunted with it yet. I'm, I'm sure I'll eventually do it. I know a lot of guys are going that way. I don't know. I'm just not a hundred percent on it yet. Well, I, you brought up the sub gauges and I think that's where TSS really shines. You know, it used to be a 410 or a 20 gauge was something that a, a young hunter could use and, and you had to make sure to get them a whole lot closer. Yep. Now guys are taking these 410s, these 20 gauges, they can walk all day with a gun that weighs half as much. It's a whole lot easier to sit there holding up when you're leaned against a tree waiting on that bird to come those last few yards. You know, you're not getting fatigued holding the gun up waiting on him. And because of the increase in pellets by shooting TSS, you now have a 12-gauge, three-and-a-half-inch lead number six pattern coming out of a 410. Right. 
and you still got a gun that is every bit, you know, 40, maybe even 50 yards capable. Yeah, I mean, the, the weight of these guns is incredible. Was it uh, the Stevens single barrels? Oh, gosh, yeah. I mean, those things weigh nothing. And that's what's great is you can get into a nice lightweight turkey gun with a little red dot on it now for a couple hundred bucks. Yeah. You can you know, get the whole setup now for less than an old pump 12-gauge. Right. I mean, and, and it's it's like carrying a super light twenty two in the woods mm-hmm. or something, man. I mean, it's just extremely light, especially if you're going to... You got to hold that gun up a long time waiting on a bird to make a move. Mm-hmm. Having a gun as light as that is much better than having that big 12-gauge, 28-inch barrel semi or, or pump. Right. Because, I mean, it gets... You have to hold that thing up for 15, 20 minutes, man, and without moving. I've seen people strain and start shaking and then they just they just can't handle it anymore and then they end up spooking a bird or am i not going to name the person but uh (laughs) person hunting with me holding the gun up so long that you know they their arms got fatigued and they were shaking so bad that when the bird finally did come in they missed yeah and that's pretty embarrassing but you know it's physics body can only take so much right your muscles get cramped and they they start shake tremble fall apart it's one of those things where you got to prepare for the for situations like that. So, yeah, yeah, let's bring up training for turkey season. So everybody listening, go home and sit there holding your shotgun. Sit on the ground with your back against the wall and hold your shotgun and point it at the wall on the other side of the room for three hours. <laughs> Practice that every night. And uh, let me know what your wife says about that. <laughs> hey, man, I mean, that's, that's good. That's good conditioning. Yeah. Uh, I have to do that, man. That's, uh, you, can't, you can't talk. You can't say anything. Yeah, you, you can't, can't move. move. You can't, and, you can't. and when your wife or your kids or, or anything, <laughs> the dog comes up and wants attention, you have to just tune them out and right. focus on you the spot on like, the wall on like the other side. A, it's like they're a mosquito. That's right. You know, mosquitoes are like that, man. It's just, I've had those times where that turkey's coming and you can feel six of them on your face drinking blood. And it's like, <laughs> man, I want to scratch and swat so bad. But I'm going to breed six million mosquitoes right now because right. that turkey's almost here. So those mornings you kill that bird, you can't take pictures because your face is all swollen from, uh-huh. from all the mosquito bites. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's one thing you don't want to forget when you go is your bug juice. Mm-hmm. That's a must have because I don't know, no matter what. I mean, like we talked earlier at the beginning is as the, as the day warms up, I mean, it might be 30, 34, 36 degrees, but. By the time it's nine o'clock, you're still hunting. That sun's out. It's warming up. Bugs are coming. Yeah. Whether you like it or not. And then there's, of course, mosquitoes, gnats, gnats, all of them. Ticks, chiggers. Gosh, you ever get into a nest of chiggers, you Uh, won't ever forget your bug juice again. uh, I get into them, I feel like, every year, and there's nothing I can do about it. Mm -hmm. And it's one one of the worst things. You said something about training just a few minutes ago. And obviously, I think one thing that we need to discuss is we've been talking about all the new gun owners in America. Oh, um, yeah. and uh, you know how outdoor and anything outdoor hunting really licenses outdoor sports camping fishing, fishing hunting everything. all of it it's gotten huge a lot of people are in the woods this fall this yeah. past fall hunting. and last spring last spring was record spring turkey hunter numbers spring was way up too and i think we're going to see even more of it this spring me too a lot of new hunters a lot of guys who just had time off work because yep. of the covid restrictions so safety 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 is a very important thing there's a lot of new people in the woods. There's a lot of inexperienced hunters in the woods. Everybody needs to be careful out there. Absolutely. Uh, you did a video not long ago on talking about some how to properly use your decoys and things. And mm-hmm. talking about some basic about equipment your, people need to get you if they're getting about, into uh, it. Your decoy placement and, yeah. and, and, and kind of, you know, 
Talk about that for a second. Sure. Um, you, when, when, when you're putting your decoys out, you've got to keep in mind that, you know, I like to think if I see a decoy in the woods, I recognize it as a decoy. But there are a lot of people out there in the woods that don't. And these decoys nowadays shoot the new Avian X ones that just came out. Gosh, yeah, they, they look like they look real, real turkeys. Yeah. These decoys are getting so good. And, you know, even before they were good, people were shooting decoys and people on the backside of the decoy were getting shot. And now they're so much better. The possibility of hunters taking shots at decoys because they think it's a turkey and accidentally shooting the hunter on the other side of the decoy has, has gone way up. So you've got to be careful when you place your decoy to put it in, in a location where nobody's going to come up on the other side of it and shoot back at you. And so if you're in the woods and there's a thicket 60, 70 yards away, don't put your decoy between you and that thicket because somebody else might hear your calls and they might crawl up through that thicket. Nobody should be doing that. People should be stopping and trying to call that turkey to themselves. But somebody might try to crawl up on that turkey they hear and, and see that decoy and take a shot at it. And I would hate for anybody to catch a face full of, you know, turkey shots. So Yeah, man, you just careful gotta, about that. You gotta be careful. Um, and out in the field, there's always a chance somebody from the road is gonna take a shot at a decoy across a field with a rifle. With a rifle. Yeah. And that's that's even worse. Yeah, so just be aware and just be careful out there, is all I can say. I mean, I've had my run-ins with trespassers, you know, especially Me too. turkey. We were talking beginning of this. I had one of the biggest birds I think I've ever hunted. Of course, everybody probably says that, but six feet tall, 45 <laughs> pounds, 15 inch beard would have been a world record. <laughs> but I worked this bird for almost a couple hours and I finally got him coming in. And next thing you know, this guy comes rolling up from behind me and mm -hmm. spooks the bird. And you talk about pissed off, man. And did that guy have permission to be on that Head? land? No. Yeah. No. Of course, yeah. he says what they all say. I, I was, I'm lost. Mm -hmm. Well, there's some public hunting land on the other side of the river mm -hmm. from where I was at. And obviously, somebody, I'm sure he came from that side. But yeah. no, the point is, though. Yeah, that big river didn't indicate anything I'm, about I'm, property line. I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> but the point is, is people out there that are beginners and they, they, they don't know what they're doing out there. They either, one, need to get educated on this. Sure. Go, with, go hunt with somebody that has experience that's, doing that's this. That's always the best thing. And two, don't, don't trespass because it's dangerous for not just you, but it's dangerous for somebody else. Yep. And it's illegal. So that's three. Sure. Just educate yourself. Be careful out there. It's, it's very important because you want to enjoy the outdoors for all the right reasons. You don't ever want to put yourself or anybody else in danger. Those accidents happen every year, and it's unfortunate. It's just... Uh, Got to do what we can to, yep. to decrease those. So. Yeah, and I mean, some simple safety rules. Note the property you have permission to be on. Stay on that property. If you hear a bird on the neighboring property, don't go over there chasing it. Stay where you are and try to call them to you. Don't try to stalk turkeys or sneak up on calling. You're not going to get close enough to get a shot on real turkeys. You might get closer, but you're going to spook them. So stay back where you're out of sight. Call the turkeys to you. If you hear a turkey, and you think maybe it doesn't sound like a turkey, just get the hell out of the area. I mean, it's probably another turkey hunter, yep. unless it's, of course, on your property, and then start yelling and screaming and get him out of the yeah, area. Don't don't run up on somebody. Yeah, and, don't and ever just, walk in on somebody yeah, when you think they're on your land. Do not want to get shot. Yeah, that definitely. So, hey, before we wrap up, Brad, I want to ask you, what's the craziest thing in all your time in the woods, turkey hunting, that is? What's the craziest thing, wildest things ever happened? Oh, gosh. I wouldn't even know where to begin. I swam across a swamp 
for a crippled turkey one time and had to catch him on the other side. And then he got back out in the swamp and I swam out there and drowned him. Uh, that was, that was pretty nuts. Let's see. I guess you didn't plan on that happening, huh? <laughs> nah, nah. The, uh, the gun was out of shells and the turkey swam the swamp and it was kind of like, well, he's got a broken wing. I'm not going to let him just go off and be coyote food. I guess it's time to strip down and get muddy. <laughs> <laughs> that takes, that's dedication, brother. I saw, I swear. That's that was pretty wild. Along the lines of yours, I was out in the field one time and had decoys out and saw this truck go by, slow down, come back by, look at me, pull on down. And a minute later, I saw this head coming up the ditch through the middle of the field. And sure enough, guy coming across the field trying to stalk my decoys. That was very frustrating. Uh, Got up and ran across the field yelling at him. And of course, he hauled butt and took off out of there. Yeah, man. See, that's, that's the kind of things that you got to be careful of. I'm sure there's all kinds of crazy experiences out there. People have had, I mean, I know you've had coyotes come running up in your, your decoy setup. And yeah, destroy yeah, we've killed a lot of coyotes. A lot of coyotes recently getting killed during spring gobbler season. I've killed which, more spring turkey hunting than I have any other time of the year. Yeah. Uh, I'll tell you a crazy thing as far as just turkeys. I set up one morning and two birds were gobbling back behind me and they were a couple hundred yards apart. And just based on the gobbling, they were coming towards me, but they ended up getting together. And I could hear them back there behind me fighting and, you know, wings flapping, burn putt and all that stuff. Then it went quiet and I waited a while and no more gobbling. So I did some more soft calling and a couple of hens came by. And then a minute later, here came big strutting gobbler. But he had a real funny walk and he would only take like one step at a time and just stand there strutting and one step at a time, stand there strutting. And finally I shot him. I went out there, and right at the knee joint, his leg, and I mean, brand new, fresh, had to have happened in that fight. His leg completely tore off, except for the ligament. And so it was just dangling by the ligament. And that turkey (laughs) apparently won the fight because he kept the girls. Yeah. But he only had one leg now. Maybe they felt sorry for him. Yeah. Yeah. But the other turkey left. (laughs) And and that bird was still pursuing the girls, hopping on one leg. That's what I'm talking about. Trying to keep up with them. That's dedication right that, there. That, and, you know, I don't think that bird would have lasted much longer. So I was glad wow. I was there that day to, to take care of him. But, yeah, that was as dedicated as a, as a turkey can get. As a, as a hard, that was a hard bird right there, That's man. That's for sure. <laughs> well, Brad, thanks for being here today for the podcast. Great stuff. We'll have you back on here uh, maybe halfway through the season to see how the season's going cool. for you. And uh, be careful out there. Turkey season's coming. Don't forget Virginia springtime, the first weekend in April is a youth day, mm-hmm. youth weekend. But yeah, be safe out there for your turkey needs. Go to greentophuntfish.com. Visit us on Facebook or on Instagram. Check out the podcast. Thanks for being with us. We'll see you in the outdoors. All right, folks. Be safe. Thanks for listening to the Green Top Outdoors podcast. Hunting, fishing, and all things outdoors. It's not just a hobby. It's a lifestyle. Like and subscribe to the Green Top Outdoors podcast wherever you listen to podcasts and learn more about Green Top at greentophuntfish.com.